Well, of course, um, many of you, um, some of you anyway, were not here last week, so you weren't here to, uh, to hear Alex Jeff's um, dealing with chapter 2 of Acts. Let me just briefly sketch in what he said. At the end of chapter 2, we have a kind of template of the life of the early church. They built their, their life on the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, that is Holy Communion, gathering together as we do every week, and prayer. And then they began to reach out. And the first thing that, or almost the first thing that they did, that is Peter and John, was to heal somebody who had been sitting by one of the gates into the temple, the beautiful gate as it was called. They were walking past him. He held out his hands for money. And Peter turned to him and said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. I haven't got any money, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And he did. And in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 3, we have this reaction from the crowd. When all the people saw him, that is the lame man, walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now that's where we take up the narrative this morning. This miracle, this incredible miracle had happened. Everyone was agog. The place was just filled with people shouting and, 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 and wondering. And there was Peter standing up. Now, I don't know whether um, Jesus taught Peter how to preach sermons. Um, because actually what I'm giving you this morning is Peter's sermon. Um, I don't know whether he encouraged Peter to think in terms of three-point sermons. That's what one of my theological professors used to say. Introduction, three points, and a conclusion, and end up with the resurrection. Well, you're not going to get the resurrection this morning, unfortunately. But it seems to me that it's a good idea to have something to hang your memory on. Sermons are infinitely forgettable, aren't they? You walk out of church and you say, what did the minister preach about this morning? Oh, yes, what did he preach about this morning? It was wonderful, but I forgot what he said. Well, now, I want to give you three headings. And if you've got a Bible near you, uh, and it's one of the church Bibles, don't worry if you haven't, but uh, if you have, open it at page 1095, 1095 at Acts chapter 3. In verses 11 to 16, we have a missed opportunity. In verses 17 to 23, we have a second chance. And in verses 24 to 26, we have a promise to trust. So a missed opportunity, a second chance, and a promise to trust. Now, how many times have you said, if only? If only. I dare say the older members of the congregation have said it a few more times than the younger members of the congregation. And that's in the nature of things, isn't it? Because we've had more chances to miss opportunities. Well, Peter didn't pull his punches, did he? Listen to the way he berates the crowd. He tells them off. They'd seen this miracle happen. 
Why were they wondering? Why were they making such a fuss? They'd made a terrible mistake. Verses 13 and following. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. That's a pretty incredible accusation, isn't it? You killed the author of life. What an appalling admission. What a terrible mistake. Could there ever be a greater missed opportunity than to reject God's promised Messiah? Why should they be surprised that this man had been healed? Did they think Peter and John had miraculous powers or were special? No, of course not. This happened through faith in the name of Jesus. The man they disowned and handed over to the Romans to be crucified. The man whose death they had demanded so that a murderer could go free. He was God's promised Messiah, and they had rejected him. Now, I don't know about you, friends, but I've lost count of the opportunities I've missed, the chances I've let slip. It's not much good looking back, is it, and regretting, feeling sorry about it. The moment's gone. Nothing you can do about it. Probably the best advice is to thank God for all the times when in his grace and mercy he has encouraged us against our better judgment to make the right choice. One of the reasons we bring our children to be dedicated to God, as Natalie and Will have brought Aaron this morning, is to surround them from their earliest years with spiritual nurture so that as they develop and grow, they will make the right choices. Because you see, Christianity is caught, not necessarily taught. Did you know that, mums and dads in the congregation? If you want your children to grow up as Christians, they're going to catch the infection from you. Now, I'm coming to the end of my full-time ministry, so really I could say anything I like. I'm getting a bit deep mob happy, really. The elders are going around looking very worried, wondering what on earth is he going to say next. Now, I know that they make fun of me because I'm little and because I have to stand on a platform in the pulpit. <laughs> you wouldn't really say that my physique was anything uh, stunning in sporting terms, would you, really? Rotten not. But... <laughs> But I have a great affection for the Arsenal football team. Now, I know that not everyone will share my enthusiasm. Why on earth should I feel enthusiastic about the fortunes of the Arsenal football club? I'll tell you why. Because my father supported the Arsenal. Because he grew up in Islington before it was gentrified. Because he had a season ticket, or two season tickets, in the stand, and every Saturday he would drag me along unwillingly, and there I would sit with a blanket over my knees, trying to avoid all the catcalls that were surrounding me. Send him off, ref! 
home to mother, come on, best bit of work you've done today, you still breathing, etc., etc. I have no interest in football at all. But I know what's going on at the Emirates Stadium. Oh, yes. Why? Because my father gave me that enthusiasm. And if your children are going to know and understand the Lord Jesus Christ, the only way in which you're going to cooperate with the Holy Spirit is by showing them that you know him too. But of course, sometimes a wrong path is deliberately chosen. Just recently, the headlines have been filled with the tragic story of the murder of a little girl in Wales. And we ask why people do such things. Why? Well, the answer, dear friends, is that they make choices. Mark Bridger made the choice to feed his mind with vile, distorted images from the internet. And as he looked at April Jones, all he could see was an object of sexual gratification. But there's no reason to feel smug. Viewing pornography on the internet is a choice many people make, even Christian people. Yes, even ministers. There's a former colleague of mine who committed crimes which began by wrong use of the internet, and he's now serving a life sentence in prison. You see, we've all got the propensity to make wrong choices. No one is safe. We all make appalling messes of our lives, and the people we love so often pay the price. But the wonderful thing about the gospel, the wonderful thing about the gospel is that it always offers a way back. If we're sincere in our repentance, there will always be a second chance, and a third, and a fourth, and a 55th, and a 555th, and a 5,055th. But only, only, only if we come with true repentance and genuine resolve to turn away from sin. And if there's anyone here this morning who's looking back over a missed opportunity or a mistake they've made or a chance they've missed, and they just long to have that second or fourth or fifth chance, I shall be around. And I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to give you that opportunity to make that new decision don't go away thinking, I didn't have the opportunity to begin again with God this morning. Because you do. So let's come to our second heading. A second chance. Listen to these wonderful words. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Repent. It's a word ministers use very often. What does it mean? Well, we all know the little boy who comes to his mum and he says, I'm sorry, mummy. I'm sorry I've done it again. I promise I, I'll never do it again. I, I promise. And the little boys and girls in the congregation, 
aged 50 and 60 and 70? <laughs> They've said it too, haven't they? There's a world of difference between repentance and regret. Because we, we understand and acknowledge that so often promises like that are just words. The thief sitting in the police cell may regret getting caught, but has he repented of the crime that brought him there? You see, repentance needs not only to be wholehearted, it needs to be life-changing. That doesn't mean that you've got to change your life. All it means is that you've got to be willing for God to change your life, for the Holy Spirit in his energizing power to come and change you. You see, I don't want anyone to go away thinking, all I've got to do is try a bit harder. That'll only lead you into another failure, because... We can't overcome sin through our own strength. Our nature is corrupt. We need a new nature. And it's only by accepting Christ as our Savior and Lord that we receive that new nature when we accept him as Savior and make him our Lord. And this is the incredible thing, you see. Peter, in verse 15, explained that although the crowd was responsible for Jesus' death, nevertheless, God had raised him to life again. And then he says in verse 18, he says that this terrible mistake, this, this appalling missed opportunity was God's chance to begin again. This is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. What at first appeared to be an appalling and irredeemable mistake, a lost opportunity of gargantuan proportions, in God's wonderful grace, is actually the point at which he, he released his mercy and grace. When I was a minister in South London, I had a, a close friend called Dave. Now, Dave was the pastor of a community church, Dave Hall. And in his younger years, his late teenage and early 20s, he'd been a gambler's enforcer. He would inveigle people into the pub and challenge them to a game of snooker for money, of course. And he would let them win the first two or three frames. And as the bets got higher and higher and higher, he would turn the tables and he would smash them into submission. And if they didn't pay up, he would use the other end of the billiard cue and make sure that they did physically. And then he was gloriously converted. He used to go to Covent Garden and stand on the back of a lorry preaching to people. He was a wonderful man, real South Londoner. He had an accent you could cut with a knife. He saw me looking miserable one day. He said to me, what's the matter with you, Charles? So I said, well, I'm remembering how my mother used to say, you're as lazy as you're long. And he looked at me and he laughed and he said, well, well you're not very long, are you? <laughs> he was a great encourager. But do you know, seriously, friends, I doubt whether I have ever met anyone who radiated the joy and transforming power of the gospel than that man. Now, how could someone who spent his early years involved in gang warfare, how could a man like that turn his life around? Well, the answer is, he didn't. God 
turned his life round. You know, there is a new um, tool in the hands of those who administer the National Health Service. Did you know that? They have those who are wise and sagacious in authority have compiled a list of self-help books. And if you go to your doctor, if he's in touch with these things, he will give you a list of books that will help you turn your, your life around. Friends, I've got something infinitely better. I've got a a Holy Spirit, a power that will enter your life as it's entered mine, as he has entered mine, as he has entered the lives of those to whom I've been ministering for 41 years. I've seen it again and again and again, and I've seen it in this church, and I will see it again and again in my retirement ministry. He turns lives round. He energizes a change in people's lives. You don't need a self-help book. You need a savior. That's what you need. That's who you need. Regret is a human emotion. Repentance is a divinely energized transformation. But it can only take place when a person's will is totally surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we come to the third Point verses 25 and 26. We've seen a missed opportunity. We've seen a second chance. We've seen now we are about to see a promise to trust. You, that is the crowd, are the heirs of the prophets and the covenant made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. The Jewish people who rejected Jesus were and still are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with their fathers. That promise was made to them, and it holds good today. Of course it does. And if you read the latter part of the letter to the Romans, you will see how God has a special, a special plan for, for the Jewish people. Don't think they're lost. Oh, no, they're not. God doesn't break his promises. But you see, the promise wasn't exclusive to them. God didn't mean them to reject his son. He knew they would, of course, because he knows the end from the beginning. Just like he knows about the mistakes that you've made and I've made. But he never lets them defeat him. He doesn't let them spoil his plan for us. Indeed, he makes them his opportunities. And this is the incredible thing. This is the wonderful thing. It's at the point of our need when we realize we've missed the chance that would have given us true satisfaction, it's there that he meets us with grace and mercy. It's there that we have the best opportunity of all to come face to face with God as he really is. Patricia Sinjan, who is a writer of Christian poetry, puts it this way. She says, the sum of life's lost opportunities, the broken promises and the wasted years, these are his raw materials. Bring me your lost opportunities, he says. Put all your broken promises in a great big skip and bring them to me. They are my raw materials. 
They are the things that I need to make new men and women. And Peter could speak of this from his own personal experience because he'd made a wrong choice. In the courtyard of the high priest's house, as Jesus was being led away, he denied that he'd ever set eyes on him. As the cock crowed, he knew he'd made the worst mistake of his life. But it wasn't the end for him. And no matter how many mistakes we've made, it's not the end for us. Because here is the promise. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So, before young Aaron stretches the rest of his life, all the opportunities are before him. No door has yet been opened, no path has yet been trodden. We don't know how many mistakes he'll make, but unless he is even more remarkable than Will and Natalie believe him to be, he'll make some. Of course he will, because he's human. We hope not too many. But we need have no fear for him. We need have no fear for him. He's surrounded by a host of loving family and friends. And best of all, he started his life in the family of God. Whatever the future holds for him, he can rely on the mercy and grace that follows each one of us, offering repentance and forgiveness at every turn. And promising, no matter how many mistakes he makes, to bring him one day home.